This morning, I want to kind of continue with my series that I've been doing on the heart. It's going to kind of go pretty well with what we talked about last week with uh, Jesus' resurrection as, as Christ conquered death. But before we begin that, I want to just share a, a little story with you here. And it's um, several years ago, there was an experiment that was done at the University of California at Berkeley involving Norwegian. I didn't realize they, actually that, they, that Norwegian had specific rats, but they, they're called Norwegian field rats. And these rats were placed in a, a tub of water where they were forced to swim until they grew exhausted and they would finally drown. And it was during this first experiment that they did that they discovered that the average Norwegian field rat was capable of swimming for more than seven hours before drowning. How many of you could swim for seven hours without drowning? (laughs) I couldn't do that. The second experiment that was conducted was exactly like the first one with one exception. This time, when the rats were getting exhausted from swimming, the researchers would would reach down in and pull the rats out of the water for just a few seconds, and then they would put the rats back in the water, and they would continue to swim. And they did this several times. And during that time, these rats, these Norwegian field rats, were able to swim for almost 20 hours, which is almost triple the amount of time with these first experiment. And here's what the researchers concluded. They concluded that the second group of rats could swim longer than the first group of rats because they had hope. They had hope. They experienced this rescue. And what kept them going was the hope that they would be rescued again and again and again. And if you think about that for a second, I believe, I'm not trying to compare humans to rats, but (laughs) you dirty rat, you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But humans are, we're, we're no different in a sense. Without hope, we drown. But with hope, we have reason to live. Hope is what keeps us going. It's been said that As oxygen is to the lungs, so is hope to the human heart. And I believe that. It's kind of interesting because I saw saw the sign on the hospital as we came in this morning. Guess what the word was that was on the hospital sign? Hope. That's right. It was hope. You know, many people today have false hopes. Their, Their hope is in technology. Their hope is in accumulating material wealth and power. That's what their hope is. But I tell you what, these hopes are like what I call fool's gold. They are. Ultimately, they are worthless and they have no power to keep us afloat. And that's why Jesus came. And we talked about that last week. He conquered death and the grave so that that we would know that we could do the same. That there's hope in this life for us. Isn't there? Definitely. And so this means no matter what happens, ultimately nothing is going to be able to hurt us because we have victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's that's important. Christian hope is a living hope. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 
Peter tells us that we have an inheritance that can never perish. It will never perish. It will not spoil. It will not fade. It will not rust. You know, when I bought my car here a few years ago, man, that thing was shiny and it was nice. And I want to tell you something. It's not shiny and it's not that nice right now. (laughs) Especially coming down here this morning in that rain. I mean, it rained pretty hard. But he says, we have, we have an inheritance that can never perish. It can never spoil. It can never fade. And it's kept in heaven for you and me. That's what he tells us. And so that's pretty exciting. And so hope, good, solid, biblical hope can help to change the outlook on our lives. You know, have you ever noticed, I think that life should come with what I call side effects. It should. It should come with side effects. You know, it, it can be full of fun and adventure and excitement and joy, can it? You know, it, it can be full of all that. But it also comes with some other side effects like illness and abuse and, and broken relationships and betrayal and sorrow and loss and injuries and disappointments and heartaches and crime and death. It can come with all that stuff. Come with all those side effects. But like any product, therefore life should then come with this, this warning label, which is what Jesus gives us. He, he gives us a warning label. He said in John chapter 16, verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. But what does he tell us next? He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But what he tells us is this, he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Troubles, trials, tribulations, they're going to come. But Jesus tells us to have a a heart that's filled with hope because he overcame. And because he overcame, guess what? As believers, that's right, we too can overcome. Amen? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing the word? We too can overcome. You know, Jesus' plan and purpose for our lives far exceeds our understanding and expectation, and it supersedes our present reality. And maybe your present reality isn't good right now, but it will supersede that. You know, and our present difficulties, because there is hope, because Jesus is an overcoming Savior, and because He's an overcoming Savior, we can be overcoming Christians. Amen. You know, the reality is that most of us don't deal well with disappointments. Do you? No, we don't. We don't, we don't deal well with disappointments. You know, we tend to maybe draw this curtain of protection around us, trying to keep us in the hurt out and, and bury the troubles and the difficulties in the process. And further, you know, we might question everything. I know I question everything sometimes. And I get frustrated with that. And so does Sarah. And, and, and we, you, but it is, we, we, we question everything sometimes. You know, and, and it's really frustrating. But every one of us, however, we have dreams, we have plans as to what we want to become and what we want life to become for us. We have those. But the problem is, is that life seems to just get in the way and hope seems to sometimes get lost. 
in the process and things just kind of go downhill. You know, you would think that running downhill would be easier, wouldn't you? But when I was, I was in a race, um, I was in the 17-mile mountain race, and I found that running downhill was harder than running uphill because it was so steep, and it destroyed my knees running downhill. And that's the way it is sometimes in life. Things just seem to be going downhill, and it's like you can't stop them. But you know what Solomon tells us? Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. That's what he tells us. I like what the Message Bible says. I, don't, I, I look at the Message Bible a lot when I'm, when I'm looking at different scriptures. Here's what the Message Bible said. It said, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a sudden good break can turn your life around. That's what he tells us. So when hope is lost or deferred, our dreams are shattered, life is dormant, imprisoned, and manipulated, or paralyzed due to heartbreak, it's really frustrating for us. And the unfortunate part of this is that a lot of people don't turn to God during these times. And, 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 and to be able to turn to God, to have that hope restored. And that's what it's all about. It's turning to Him so that we can have hope restored. Rather, they turn to methods to alleviate the pain, which in turn does greater damage by exasperating the problem. And what it can do is it can bring depression on. And then what happens is a lot of people, then what they'll do is they'll, they'll turn to alcohol, they'll turn to drugs, they'll turn to anything else other than who we have our hope in, and that's God. And that's what we need to really be careful of, that, that we don't allow that to happen, that we don't turn to something else other than what the Lord wants for us. You know, unfortunately, you know, it, 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 it seems to, to be that way. But this doesn't need to be the end of our story. You know, God is writing your story right now. And, and our story can align with his story if we allow it to. And so we don't allow, we should not allow that. God has great dreams and plans for our lives. Dreams to give us a hope and a future. Remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He, he says, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you. You know, and they're not to, not to harm you, but to give you peace and to give you a hope and a future. That's what he tells us. Abraham, Father Abraham, that's what we call him. Abraham had this hope and he held on to this hope when the circumstances would have led most to despair. If you, do you remember his story in Genesis chapter 22? Abraham had been promised by God that he would have descendants upon this earth as numerous as the stars in heaven or the sand on the beach, on the seashore. But there was just one problem with that. His wife and he were way past childbearing years and Sarah was unable to have children. She was barren. 
So you can see the dilemma there, can't you? <laughs> Lord, how, how am I going to be the father of many nations? How am I going to be able to, when my own wife, we can't even have a child. How is that going to happen? Abraham never lost hope in what God was telling him and that promise that God gave to him. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, he says, he says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. That's what he tells us. Abraham in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be. And so Abraham held on to that hope and God always keeps his promises. Amen? Amen. He always keeps his promises. No matter what, he will keep his promises. And so Abraham could have easily fallen into despair and depression and, and he would have had no one to carry on his name or his legacy, but Abraham knew where his hope laid. And who his hope was in. So instead of turning to something else to alter his feelings, he turned to the Lord. Remember God's promise. And his hope was restored. You know, Abraham's hope was in the Lord. And he continued to believe, giving his frustrations and fears over to the Lord, knowing God's thoughts and plans were to give him peace, to give him a future, and to give him hope. That's what God's plans were. And I believe that that's what God's plan is for us. You know, all of us have dreams and visions. God himself put that within us. God, God created you. God created you to have dreams inside of your heart. And he created us with a divine design in mind. That rhymes. I mean, all the way through there. <laughs> wow, my poet didn't know it. <laughs> But that, but that's what God designed us for. Therefore, it is in the Lord God and in Him alone that hope springs up in us eternally. You know, and so when looking at what a Christ-like heart should be like is what we've been talking about other than the past couple Sundays. When looking at what a Christ-like heart should be like, you know, there should be hope in that heart. There should be hope. And so this morning, I want to, I just want to share three, what I think are three standout characteristics of a hope-filled heart. And the first one is this. It's a heart that senses God. It's a heart that senses God. You know, in this world, hope seems to be in short supply, doesn't it? All we have to do is look at the news and... It, it, it's like we're in trouble. I mean, we are really in trouble. Um, as we look at what's going on around us, we tend to lose a lot of enthusiasm and energy for life because it's not good. And we begin to see this dangerous spiral that, that, that might lead us into darkness and despair if we would allow it to. But God wants to bring us a scent of hope to see us revived and blossoming again. And what a great time to even be talking about that. When you look outside and you see all the beautiful trees blooming. We were at the funeral. We were at, we had a Carol Foreman's funeral this past week. And when we went to the gravesite, all the trees were just gorgeous. And it just showed, it just showed that 
there is new life. And Carol isn't going to be strapped by a body that's in a grave. And we all have that. And so we get to be revived and, and blossom again. This fellow talks about when he was a Boy Scout. <clears throat> he said, our troop would always do various projects for the environment. He said, one year we really had a bad fire that ravaged many acres where, where he lived. And so he said, acre upon acre was burnt. And all that was left were these burnt trees, these, these blackened, charred remains that stood like these sentinels in the desert, you know, in the, in the wilderness. And that's all that was left here. What, what, what was once green and lush was nothing but charred. He said, one day, it looked like as they were out there working, he said, it looked like it was going to rain. In fact, he said, you could smell the rain in the air. Have you ever been able to do that, smell the rain in the air? I have. I love that smell. And so we began to hurry, trying to push to get everything done. He said, we were building dams to prevent further erosion in the soil because of the runoff. And so he said, what amazed me, he said, however, is that I started to see these little green sprouts begin to emerge from the, the blackened and charred remains there. Have you ever been to a place that's been burnt and see that where the, where the, the new green stuff comes up? As a matter of fact, when people want to burn off areas that are really bad, they'll do that so that new things can start to grow. And so he said, what amazed me is that he could see these, these, these sprouts coming up. And he said, I thought these trees and, and, and this brush was all dead, but they sensed the rain and they began to rally. They sensed it. They smelled the scent of rain and they began to reach out to new life. He also went on to say, he says, I remember that at this cabin that we were staying at when we were doing all this work, he said there were these old stumps there. And he said, I thought that they were dead. To my eyes, they looked like they were just old, dead old stumps. But he said, when the rain came, new green shoots started to sprout up from those old stumps. He said, even though they were, they were chopped down, their roots were still grounded in good soil. And when the water came and even the scent of water, so did new life. That's what he tells us. And you know what? This is what we need. We need a scent of hope. You know, this is the same idea that is found in the book of Job. Remember Job? Job not only talked about the frailty of life, but he also talked about hope, which, which didn't seem possible even because of Job's circumstances. And if you remember Job's circumstances, it was, it was pretty rough. He literally lost everything. He lost everything. Job's you know, Job was like a tree cut down in the prime of life and what appeared was maybe like this old stump. And yet even Job felt this way. You know, he, he was still, he still had hope in his heart. He still had that scent of hope. And here's what Job said. Job said in, in Job chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, he said, he said this, he says, at least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. And yet, he says, yet at the scent of water, it will bud and it will put forth shoots like a plant. That's what Job tells us. You know, life is hard. It is unrelenting, isn't it? 
And many people feel like these old dead tree stumps, you know, they've been cut down by the trials and the tribulations of life. And it can be tough. You know, uh, the, the illness, disease, you know, the loss of a loved one, you know, a, a abuse, divorce, bankruptcy, foreclosure, evictions, you know, or, or maybe, maybe they've been cut down because they've lost a job, or, or maybe it's not just a job, but a career. Those are serious things. And they feel like they, they have no hope for the future. And that's because they have no external source of life that they can hold on to. And that's why we are so important in this scheme of things, guys. Because we hold within our hearts and within our hands the hope that can, we can give to the nations, that we can give to people who are around us, that they don't have to experience these things without this hope. That's so important. At the scent of rain, at the scent of hope, there is life and there is joy. There is life and there is joy. John chapter 7. John 7, 37 and 38. To receive this hope, to get the scent of hope so we can grow, we can blossom, we can flourish. Listen to what Jesus says to us. This is important. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. That's what he tells us. Wow. That's pretty important. The only source of true hope, that which we can, we can send our branches upward and our roots downward, is found in only one. And that's Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only source of true hope, a hope that will overflow in our lives with, with peace, joy, and hope. So the first characteristic of this hope-filled heart is a heart that senses God. The second characteristic is somewhat similar to it, and that is a heart that knows God. A heart that knows God. You know, there's a verse found in the Bible that few ever would make a connection, especially given the circumstance that Job has experienced. But if you look at Job chapter 1, verse 21, he says this. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Makes sense, doesn't it? Naked I, I came, naked I return. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. But he goes on to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, this is not what most people would normally say under such horrific circumstances. Not only did Job lose everything, including his flocks and his herds, but he also lost his children. His children died in a storm. And later he was smitten with these horrendous boils on his body and it wasn't just little boils they were huge altering boils and 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 it was all over from head to toe even on the bottoms of his feet he faced a lot job faced a lot 
you might say that Job is where many people either have been or are today. You know, as they likewise, they experience loss, you know, whether it's a loss of a job, home, or whatever it is. We experience those things. And what holds this story out among so many, however, is that in the midst of these horrendous circumstances, what does Job not do? That's right. He never speaks out or criticizes or complains against the Lord. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, what's the first thing you want to say? When, when, yeah, when, some, when, when something happens, and, and who do we want to almost immediately want to blame? But you know, here's the interesting thing, is that Job, he lost his children. He, he lost his wealth. He lost everything. And not once did he criticize or complain against the Lord. Instead, what we see from, from our verses that instead he did the exact opposite. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He bowed down and he worshiped God in the, in the, in the midst of all that. But how could he? Well, it's because he knew God. He knew him. And while everything may have been away, you know, as far as on the physical side of this, Job still possessed this faith and this hope that too often in our culture is missing today. And that's why we are so important. Society teaches us to place our hope in others, to place our hope on humanity, to place our hope in Joe Biden. Whoops, did I say that? No, you know, uh, or well, even at that, maybe even at that, it's to place our hope in Donald Trump because he's just a human. That's what society is telling us to do, or, or maybe it's to place our hope upon science. You know, it, it, it believes that we can come up with the solutions that have plagued our world since the beginning of time. But what, what humanity has, has pegged its hope upon has proven to be false because scientists and philosophers have yet to find the cure for what plagues humanity, and that's death. Death is ultimately what plagues humanity. And no one's ever going to come up with a solution for that, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, we can't even find a cure for the cold. But Job's hope was not in himself, or his friends, or his wife, or humanity. Job's hope was in the Lord Jesus. And and, and it was the Lord that has placed this hope in us. You know, Job knew death is inevitable. It's an inevitable outcome of life. He knew that. But he also knew that this life isn't all that there is to life. He knew that there was something beyond that. And so Job knew that. Job knew that one day he would die, but he also knew that after his death, he would one day be in the presence of the Lord with a completely restored body that had no boils on it at all. That's what he knew. In Job chapter 19, verse 26, pretty popular passage, he said, And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. 
The NIV says it this way. It says, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh will I see God. That's what he tells us. So in the midst of his tragedy, Job blessed and thanked God, having faith in him. And it is this faith, this faith and this hope that not only saw health and prosperity return to Job, but it, it returned to him in a great way, and even in more of an expanded way for him because of his faithfulness. King David knew God and knew that it was the Lord he received his strength from to survive and to handle the sorrows of life. You know, in Psalm chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, he said, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. He was sweating like that he would make his bed swim. I, I drenched my couch with my tears. My eyes wasted away because of grief. And there was a lot of grief that he, that he felt and that he faced. But even in the midst of some of life's most horrendous moments, David knew God and he, he possessed a hope that would see him through all this grief. A hope that no matter how dark it may seem, there's always light and joy in the very end of all this. A hope that encourages us to continue. Because he says later on down in the Psalms, he says in Psalm chapter 31, verses 23 and 24, he says this, he says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And so if there is something that I could say to you today, it would be this. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. All of you who hope in the Lord. Just be of good courage. You know, you know when there's problems and there's difficulties that occur that, that devastate us, you know, like, like the sudden loss of a loved one, you know, and, and that happens to a lot of us or a life-threatening or a debilitating disease or illness or a betrayal or a divorce or a loss of job or whatever it is. Life will never be as it was. But when we know God and we know, and, and we know what he has done and we know that he will never forsake us or he will never leave us, we can have a heart that's filled with hope that will allow us to face whatever life's going to throw at us. You know, to be honest with you, I can't imagine not having that hope. You know, when you go to a funeral service, a lot of times you can see that. If that person who's laying in that coffin was not a Christian, you almost sense it, the, the fear that's around that. But when you go and you see someone who has been a Christian all their life, you know, they've given their life to the Lord, and you know that, and you see that, there's that total different sense about it there's, there's that sense of hope because we know that that's not the end. For Carol, when she passed away, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. And so the last characteristic that I want to share with you is not only that, you know, to have a heart that senses God and a heart that knows God, but we also, in, in having this hope-filled heart, it needs to be a heart that rejects what the world is offering us. You know, this hope-filled heart, however, cannot be achieved through the world's call to hope. 
you know, the world thinks hope is more of this wishful thinking. It's saying, well, I hope so, or, or I hope it's true, you know. But it goes a lot deeper than that. Hope, as defined by the world, is this abstract thought of with nothing to substantiate or support it. But the Bible defines hope as this confident expectation and certainty. That's what the Bible says. You know, why the difference? Well, it comes down to what is the object of our hope? What is the object of our hope? The world and society places its hope on the human race evolving, saying that it's getting better. But in fact, we know that it's getting worse. It's almost laughable. Now, there are glimpses of humanity as God intended along the way because there are great technologies. You know, there's great advancement in medications and and procedures and things like that. Those are good things. And that does bring hope. Even 20, from 20 years ago till now, the difference is amazing. And so there are good things. You know, but you got to remember who is going to be the object of our hope and who's going to be the object of the world's hope. The world's hope is for humanity. Our hope is in God. You know, and so the whole idea of things getting better is almost laughable. You know, crime rates up, terrorism is up, you know, environmental disasters, you know, everything. It, it's you can you name it, it it's happening and and it's not getting better. The world can offer us no hope. And that's because we have seen that the object of its hope is humanity. It is flawed. But the object of biblical hope is steadfast and never changes. Malachi 3, 6 and Hebrews 13, 8. It talks about that, that God is the God of hope and that he never changes. He is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. He's the same and he will never change. So Christian hope is distinguished from worldly hope because it's based upon the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. As we talked about, that Jesus Christ conquered death. And he didn't just conquer death, he conquered death for you. And if you were the only one, Johnny, he would have done it for you or for you, Beverly, or, or Osi, or he would have done it for every single one of us. He would have done that. Jesus conquered the dead. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A Christian's hope isn't a dead hope. It is a living hope because it's based upon a living Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the hope of eternal life that, that keeps our hope alive. And, and it's hope that, that quickens the spirit, supports weakened confidence and invigorates and inspires the soul to do greater things for him. He is our inspiration, isn't he? Amen. You know, hope is therefore not some abstract concept, but it is real and his name is Jesus, Jesus Christ.
It isn't a dead hope, but a living one. And it's not just for our future redemption, but it is also for our present redemption and for abundant life. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Betty, I think this was one of your scriptures that you gave, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it came across the um, one call, says, for as in Adam, all die. So as in Christ, all have been made alive. Doesn't that excite you? We should be clapping. We should be thanking the Lord. That, that's what we should be doing. So as I close this morning, um, looking at the resurrection of Jesus kind of helps gain perspective for recovering our hope through tragedy, through troubles, through trials, through tribulations. Because you remember, three days after Jesus had died and he was buried, several women went to the tomb. You know, they had come to finish preparing his body uh, something that the men could not do because of the Sabbath and because of Passover. So the women, the women were the first ones to get to see Jesus. When they arrived at the tomb, you know, they weren't expecting to see the tomb open and it be empty. They weren't expecting that. The last thing they were expecting was a resurrection. And, and, and while trying to figure out what was happening, these two angels appeared to them and they were so overwhelmed that they fell to the ground. And the angels delivered the first Easter message that morning to them. And they said, why do you, why do you seek the living among the dead? This must have puzzled them because the Romans, the Romans were experts at killing people. They were good at it. That's what they, they, they were good at killing people. And so this had to, this had to kind of shock them. You know, so when the angels talked about Jesus living, it was probably somewhat confusing. And the angel then gave the theme of every Easter message and every sermon. Remember what that message is? We said it last week. He is not here. He is risen. He has risen indeed. That's right. Amen. You remember that? That's right. You know, the resurrection of Jesus it was the last thing that they were expecting. When those ladies came to the grave, you know, they were expecting to be able to put spices and, and, and perfumes on his body, his dead, rotting body. That's what they were expecting to do. When we see, or when we receive news of tragedy, you know, we, we struggle to understand and to make sense of it. And oftentimes what it does is it can paralyze, it can, it can, it can send confusion to us. And like these women and the disciples, when we encounter a risen savior, when we, when we encounter a risen savior, Jesus Christ, our hope is recovered and we are able to, to make a lot more sense out of tragedy when it occurs because Jesus is the one. You know, in the end, it's the Lord's love. For us that, that, that fills our heart with hope. It's all about that love. It's not about that base. It's all about that love. It's about that love that, that, that God has instilled within us through Jesus Christ. You know, this was the hope that Solomon held out to us. This is the hope that Solomon held on to when it seemed like 
all was lost, when it seemed like nothing was going to change, when it seemed like everything was lost. And this is what he says to us. I love this passage. And you know what? I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon out of Lamentations before. But this is what he says to us. Listen carefully. He says in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning with verse 21, he, sh- he says this, he says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope, he says, because of the, of the Lord's great love, we are not, condi- we are not, we are not consumed for his compassions. They never fail. Notice that his compassions, they never fail. He says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's what he tells us. So whatever we are going through, whatever you're going through, let the mercy of God fill you with hope to see you through the dark times and into the light and love of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, there is hope for this world. There is hope. And his name is Jesus who rose from the dead and is now alive and well. Never, ever, 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 ever to die again. That's the continuation of the Easter story. But it's also the Christ-like heart that we need to have. A heart that's filled with hope.